Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugel saying, hey guys, welcome. This is SiriusXM Progress, Channel 127. A lot to cover. It's the 90th birthday of Mark Russell. Maybe you were like me and grew up watching him do his specials on PBS and realized, oh, that's political comedy. Uh, it's the 110th birthday of Gene Kelly. It's the 73rd birthday of Shelley Long. And it's great to have you with us. We're, again, 866-997-4748. Congress is in the midst of its annual August recess. There are now 11 weeks from today until the midterm elections. Get some rest. Voters are heading to the polls in New York, Florida, and Oklahoma today. We've already got quite a bit of results in New York. It's this ugly slugfest of Jerry Nadler versus Carolyn Maloney. Schumer has officially endorsed Nadler over Maloney. They've both been in Congress for 100 years. They're both 75 years old. But because of redistricting, they're now facing off. And the New York Times endorsed Nadler over the weekend. Charlie Crist has won Florida's Democratic primary for governor beating a friend of the show, State Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed. He will now face Ron DeSantis in November. Chris, of course, was once the governor of Florida as a Republican. Now he's a congressman as a Democrat, and he's going to have a tough time raising enough money to take on DeSantis, who's got over $130 million, I believe, in his campaign war chest. I just want to say Nikki Freed and Charlie Crist both ran really smart primary campaigns in Florida, if you were paying attention. I know that they have their passionate defenders on each side, but they really, in their debates, went after each other on policy uh, and past positions. They never, ever did anything that would, you know, stupidly wound the other one in November. So... Good job to both of them. Uh, we have a lot to get to on tonight's show. We have some great guests joining us tonight as well. Nadia Johnson and Ken J. Adams of Urban Future Centers will be here talking about how, well, how private investment donations is helping build power in underserved communities in Milwaukee when the money goes through the right local resources. It's a great Great story about local activism. And, of course, your calls all night long at 866-997-4748. Chris Hauselt is our executive producer. He does this thing from South Carolina. Thea Harper, associate producer, joins us from Brooklyn. I'm here in New York. I'm going to be gone for uh, a couple of days. Turns out they make me take vacation, so I'm going to be leaving 
tomorrow. You are in great hands because, number one, the great Joe Sudbay will be filling in for a number of dates. I'll be back after Labor Day, so it'll just be like a week and a half or so that I'm not around. Joe is here. Joe is smart. Joe is passionate. It's kind of like if you want to if you want to hear this show on this channel in this time slot, but like with a guy who knows what he's doing, seriously, tune in for Joe Sudbay. He's everything I want to pretend I am. He's great. Also, I will be Bringing you new content. We're going to have a great special on Labor Day itself with Kenneth C. Davis and Professor Harvey K. Also, drum roll, uh, our brand new interview with John Boyega is going to premiere this Friday. Now, uh, I, I don't know how this happened. Nobody told me, but John Boyega came in. We did a 30-minute interview. Talked about craft, talked about making Michael K. Williams' his last movie, talked about uh, being an actor, t- talked about racism, economic racism, structural racism, activism. In the very end, I brought up a Star Wars question, relating it to institutionalized racism and the treatment that Moses Ingram has received. Well, I guess someone at SiriusXM liked that part because they leaked it to the press. And so we are now, what are we, in deadline and variety tonight. For uh, the big exclusive, where John Boyega makes a startling revelation about his role in the Star Wars universe, it's think, literally think like the you. last. It's like the last thirty seconds of the interview, Wake but that's up. what got the whole. We we talk about racism and craft and and the plight of vets when they come home from unjust wars. Uh, one question about Star Wars is why we're in variety for that interview. Wake me up when you hit Infowars. I know. And Pores has yet to pick it up. But it's a, it's, it's a pretty big scoop, what he said. Got all people in the Star Wars universe talking. So that's a thing. <laughs> so tune in for that on Friday. Also, uh, I am going to be performing live with Stephanie Miller's Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour. It is the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Save Democracy Tour. We're doing Chicago later in September. Uh, but I will be with Stephanie and Hal Sparks and some special guests at the Sydney Harmon Hall in Washington, D.C. That's Saturday, the 10th of September. I am so thrilled to get back on the road. We are going to slay. We are going to break shit. It's going to be an amazing show the midterm season kicks off september 2nd in our nation's capital go to sexyliberal.com for tickets now i want to talk <laughs> let's start the actual show part of the show uh i want to talk about student loans and the debate over canceling student loan debt but before i do i've just got to slip a little thing in there i'm, I'm it's going to be a two-part rant today chris i hope you don't mind about that I got a grown-up rant, and I got the thing I want to talk about, because I told Chris he thought it was worth it. Today is the uh, the birthday of Keith Moon. Keith Moon would have turned 76 years old today, the legendary drummer for The Who. If not the best drummer in rock history, certainly the most imitated drummer in rock history. He died in September 1978 at the age of 32 of an accidental drug overdose that was also a massive drug overdose. Keith Moon, if he's famous for one thing, uh, it was musical excellence. If he's famous for two things, it's musical excellence and being really, really in favor of excess. He was the inspiration for the character of the Muppet drummer Animal, that Keith Moon. Today would have been his 76th birthday, but today is the 55th anniversary of his 21st birthday. And that was one of those parties in rock and roll that uh, really was so excessive, it kind of changed the business world. I, I Really quick, this is how a story for our Trumpian times about how excess and poor behavior often can lead to regulations that cause a lot of bullshit to not be repeated. But Keith Moon, 
turning 21. He's on tour at the Who. This is their first North American tour. Okay, how 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 early is this? This is the Who opening for Herman's Hermits. That happened in uh, Flint, Michigan, at Flint's Atwood Stadium. It's such a early rock and roll show that the whole thing is done by 10 p.m. It's such an early rock and roll show that all the bands are staying at the Holiday Inn in Flint, Michigan. <laughs> so the show's done by 10. It's Keith Moon's 21st birthday. The entire band and all their entourage go back to the Flint Holiday Inn. You may have heard of this story. It's, it's a good one. There's a lot of alcohol. There's a lot of substances. There's a lot of partying. There's a lot of partially clothed men and women. Uh, there's also a swimming pool that's right next to the parking lot. It's actually facing the parking lot. And some of these inebriated guests, impaired guests, scantily clad guests begin just diving in to the Holiday Inn pool, which faces the parking lot. A toilet explodes in one of the rooms. Uh, some people grab the fire extinguishers and just empty them and spray them all over the place. It's, it, it's, it's the kind of party that'll ruin your weekend if you're staying in the room next door. So uh, the, the drum company wheels this huge birthday cake for Keith into a meeting room, and a girl jumps out of the cake. And Keith takes the cake and just dumps it on everybody in the whole room and just smushes it, and a massive food fight breaks out from a cake that was big enough to hide a girl in. And the food fight spreads from the meeting room down the hallway into the hotel lobby. Now there's food everywhere. There's alcohol and drugs and naked people. They're shooting off fire extinguishers. It's a mess, right? And then people start going into the swimming pool. Now, in the middle of all of this, the drugs, the nudity, the food fights, Keith somehow misplaces his clothes. That's, that's a detail here. And then the cops arrive, and they're trashing a Holiday Inn. And Keith realizes the cops are there. And he gets terrified, but he's high beyond all measure. So he jumps into uh, his Lincoln Continental and lets go of the handbrake. And this is the story. The car, this is true, rolled backwards, crashed through the fence, and went into the deep end of the swimming pool. Keith talked about it. He said famously, the water was pouring in, coming into the bloody pedal holes in the floorboard. Squirting into the windows. It's a startling moment of logical. I said, well, I can't open the doors until the pressure is the same. It's amazing how I remembered those things from my physics class. I knew I'd have to wait until the pressure was the same. So Keith's so high, he's in a Lincoln Continental in the deep end of a pool. The cops are up there. Keith's giggling because he remembers physics class. He comes out of the pool and the cops have pulled their guns on him. So he gets out and then he tries again to escape the party. But this time he slips. You know what he slips on? on a piece of birthday cake from the food fight, and he falls, and he knocks out his front tooth. It is his 21st birthday. And the cops get him, and they take him to jail. But first, they take him to a dentist. And the dentist says to the cops that in his current state, 21-year-old Keith Moon was so high, he didn't need Novocaine. And they fixed the tooth. Keith spent the night in county jail. And the next day, the band has to pay for a chartered plane to fly Keith to Philly for the Who's Next show. Now, <laughs> that happened on this date 55 years ago. The damage bill ran $24,000. That was in 1967. Today, it'd be like $135,000. And apparently, the, the record company, they say, had to buy the Lincoln Continental from the person who actually owned it. So what happened after this? Well, uh, they made sure it wouldn't happen again. I mean, Keith still threw plenty of TVs out of hotel windows the rest of his life. But the Who were banned for life from performing in Flint, Michigan. 
And Holiday Inn declared its first and only global lifetime ban on anyone. And it was on The Who, all members, even Ed Whistle and Pete, they were banned from ever staying at a Holiday Inn anywhere on earth. Also, banned road managers began having less petty cash on hand or having more petty cash on hand to handle, you know, talent related problems. Um, Hotel designers started making it more difficult for uh, cars to even have a chance of going into a swimming pool. Hotel operators found out, hey, if you're going to promote a celebrity visiting your hotel, do it after they leave. Insurance people cashed in because insurance carriers totally increased premiums for third-party property damage coverage on concert tour policies. And hotel accounting departments totally increased credit card requirements for touring rock and roll bands. What this is saying is that bad behavior should lead to preemptive accountability. (laughs) And that's how Keith Moon relates to Donald Trump. Um, Now, I want to tell everyone, if you're listening live, you can always call us at 866-997-4748. If you are listening on the John Fugelsang podcast or on the app or on SiriusXM On Demand, you can always write to us at our show's Facebook page or my website as well. Uh, But I I now got to talk a bit about student loan debt really quickly because it's now the second highest form of consumer debt. White House officials have been weighing, we've learned tonight in the Washington Post, cancellation of up to $10,000 in student loan debt for anyone who makes less than 125000 They have discussed the possibility of more forgiveness beyond that. But it's expected that tomorrow, Joe Biden will announce $10,000. Now, a lot of people are going to say it's meaningless. And they've all got good points. If you have high student loan debt and you're paying monthly, that $10,000, that's, that's going to be back in a year just because the interest keeps on accruing so rapidly. It needs to be a lot bigger for a lot of people. Keep that in mind, right? The interest is what is the most predatory thing about these loans. It would make more of a difference if Joe Biden just canceled all interest on student loan debt, right? Or even lower all current rates to no higher than 2%. Or or just, you know what? Forgive it all. Forgive it all. I mean, people spend years of their lives trying to pay back their student loans, sacrificing so much of adult life just to be able to make a dent in their payments. But here's the facts. 20% of student loan borrowers attended a for-profit college, and those student loan borrowers are twice as likely to default on their student loans. Nearly half of all associate degree students, on the average, borrow a student loan. And on the average, nearly half owe $20,000 of student loans. Student loan borrowers with an associate's degree tend to earn less income than student loan borrowers with a bachelor's. Now, again, Congress has bailed out corporations. Congress gives lots of tax breaks to billionaires. Essentially, the argument we're making here is how about giving a break to regular Americans? If we're going to tell people that college is a stepping stone to higher income and financial freedom, you shouldn't have to go into substantial debt you can never pay off just to participate in this economy. I mean, student loan debt would take away a big roadblock so more people have a shot to live the American dream. It'll stimulate the economy. People are still hurting from COVID. $1.7 trillion of student loan debt. If you cancel those loans today, it frees up money for student loan borrowers to go and spend in their local and state economies. Student loan cancellation could free up like $400 a month for the average student loan borrower. Think about that. That kind of money for a working person can help people afford to get married, afford to maybe have a kid, to, to spend money 
at local small businesses. Invest in your community. Stimulate your local economy. More? Buy a home. Save for retirement. Start a business. Student loan cancellation could boost our GDP by $174 billion. It could create up to a million jobs. It would totally stimulate the economy and support other economic relief. Again, the people who voted to cancel $1.7 trillion in taxes for 600 billionaires in 2017 want you to believe that the real class warfare is canceling $1.7 trillion in student loans for 45 million working Americans. Let's talk about working people in this economy. 99.7% of student loan borrowers didn't go to an Ivy League school like Harvard or Yale. And a lot of student loan borrowers are in student loan default, which really sucks. 20% of student loan borrowers are in default right now. And of that 20%, 30% have been in student loan default for more than five years. This is nonstop financial pressure. It's a drag. I know some of you worked very hard to pay yours off, but this is still slowing down our economy. And 40% of student loan borrowers never even get a degree which means these people have to borrow student loans, but then they can't access the higher income jobs to pay off the student loan debt they're still stuck with. And here's the big one. One reason, if you really want to think about it, student loan forgiveness really helps student loan borrowers of color who are disproportionately impacted by student loans. There's lots of research out there that shows that African-American and Latino borrowers would substantially improve in their financial security and experience substantial relative wealth gains if their loans were canceled. If you did $50,000 of student loan debt, canceled it all, that would increase the wealth of black American borrowers by 40%. That would close the black-white wealth gap among student loan borrowers by 25 percentage points. In reality, 12 years after starting college, many black borrowers owe more than they initially borrowed. That's according to Forbes. Research shows the average African-American borrower still owes more than 100% of their loan balance even 12 years after college. Now, again, this is 45 million Americans who collectively owe $1.7 trillion of student loan debt. Forgiving that could lead to, like I said, better saving for retirement, better job mobility, better small business formation, higher marriage rates. It's also a mental health issue. High student loan debt is associated with anxiety and depression, which would be reduced. It's good on so many levels for our economy and our national psyche, and a majority of Americans support it. Uh, A student borrower protection center poll shows that 62% of all likely voters support student loan cancellation, including a majority of young Republicans. And did you know this? The age group where student loan debt is growing the fastest? 60 to 69-year-olds. Yes. It's on a percentage basis, not absolute dollar, but more parents and grandparents are borrowing student loans for their dependents to go to school. Now, when you consider this age group is very close to retirement, their ability to earn more income to pay off student loans, it's deeply limited. I mean, based on the current statistics we have, more than 35 million borrowers hold 50,000 or less of federal student loans. 50,000 or less. Now, that's 7.9 million who owe less than $5,000. And that's 15.3 million who owe less than 10,000 of student loans. Joe Biden wants to cancel all of that immediately. $10,000 of student loan debt wiped away. If Congress can do that, then 15.3 million people could have all of their federal student loan debt canceled. That's good economics. 
It's deeply patriotic. It's good politics. And it's also logical when you think about it, because doesn't crippling student loan debt keep millions of young people from enjoying the pleasures of crippling home mortgage debt? We got to take a quick break. We will be right back. When we return, I'm so pleased about this. I've been so looking forward to our next guest. We're going to be talking with a couple of CEOs, uh, Ken J. Adams and Nadia Johnson. Uh, well, Nadia is not a CEO, but together they are part of uh, a program that is redefining the way private interests can help stimulate underserved communities. It's Urban Future Centers, and it's a group of four different black-led Milwaukee-based community organizers, organizations dedicated to building power in the most underserved communities and the communities most impacted by racial and economic disparities. It's an amazing story about solutions that work. We'll be right back. This is Progress. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And welcome back. I'm so excited to welcome our next two guests. We, we always talk about on this show how change, any kind of change you see in America, never comes from politicians. It always comes from citizens who have a lot of hard work, who don't ever get appreciated, but they're people who care about making a positive difference. So I was so excited to hear our next guests had agreed to join us. Now, you may have heard of Urban Fo uh, Future Centers. It's an initiative aimed at closing equity gaps through social impact partnerships and investments in community-based organizations. It's made up of four different black-led Milwaukee-based community orgs that are dedicated to building power in underserved communities that are most impacted by racism and economic racism. Uh, this year, they launched the Steam and Dream National City Tour, which works to prepare uh, by, uh, I'm sorry, black and, and, uh, and Latino students for careers in STEM through engaging programming. And then they've hosted summits in Atlanta and Milwaukee. And it's an incredibly positive, incredibly exciting, inspiring thing about how careers in tech are made real for young people. Kenji Adams is CEO and founder of Connect Business Consulting. She has over 20 years of experience planning, managing, and implementing tech and community-based projects for Fortune 500 companies, nonprofits, and community-based organizations. Nadia Johnson is currently pursuing her PhD with a focus on computer science and mental health. Her passion for diversity in STEM led her to launch her company, Jet Constellations, which is a local software company. Nadia is a recent Milwaukee Business Journal 40 Under 40 honoree. And together... They are working with a program that is truly changing lives with a model that I'm hoping starts getting a lot more national attention. Ladies, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you both. Yeah. Hi, thanks. thanks for having us. Yes, Thank I'm you. here. 
Thank you. So uh, let me begin with the most obvious question. How do two women in the corporate world like, like yourselves find <laughs> yourselves working on a project like this? Aren't you supposed to be all focused on your own bottom line and building up your resume? Uh, how did Urban Future Centers come to be a part of your lives? That's a great question. Um, so yes, I, I definitely started my career um, in, in corporate. And one of the reasons why I started my social impact arm, Milky Way Tech Hub, was because of some of the things that I was witnessing in the corporate arena, lack of representation across the board, mentorship and the executive space. And I wanted to see a difference um, and more representation of black and brown people in, in tech specifically. And so eventually that led me to start my own venture, um, Jack Constellations and the Milky Way Tech Hub. And um, that led us to partner with American Family and, and from there, um, we've been able to align our work. And over time, Urban Future Centers was born. Yep. And then, and I'm jumping, I'm Kenji Adams. And so I also, my background is in corporate. And I've been a project manager in the corporate space for almost 20 years. And I started Connect Business Consulting because I, in addition to working in corporations, I've been in various organizations and communities. And I decided to bridge and help organizations who don't normally have project management experience actually implement their community programs and also be that translator between corporations and nonprofits so that way they can show their results and, and be able to continue their funding. So I also, um, and then Adia and I met while I was working for a company and we also yep. partnered on other projects mm -hmm. even before we started the, our STEAM and DREAM program, which is also started by um, and funded by um, American Family Insurance with another one of our um, one of our, our partners, Joanne Sabir from uh, Sherman Phoenix and AmFam, who really brought us together and helped us um, continue this going forward. And what's interesting um, is that I believe I took my leap into entrepreneurship um, a little bit before Kenji. And somehow I was in her workplace and I ran into her on her very last day. Um, yeah, so I was like, my boxes are in the lobby and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do me. And she's like, okay, I got you. And so, um, yeah, ever since then, we've been busy. I've helped her with her organization and she's helped me with mine. And then we've collaborated and we started something that was initially small, just passing out laptops during COVID that AmFam helped support to now um, I'm helping the project manage our steam engine program that's across uh, four states. So we're having these summits and we bring in celebrities like we brought in Jacob Lattimore last weekend in Chicago and we bring in um, Earn Your Leisure. We brought in other people and notables to speak to kids and we give them an experience. And so it's not just sitting in Mm -hmm. And just in a room, like we have a live DJ, we have talks, we give out swag, we have t-shirts. Like it's, we want the kids to have an experience when we leave. So um, we've just been really fortunate to have their support and be able to deliver that. I have to say the steam and dream model is, is really amazing to me because what you do is essentially kids feel like they're getting a day out of school. It's, it's this big event. that's <laughs> yeah. a lot of fun and it's yeah. helping young people exploring like, you know, engineering and math and science and design, but it's really exploring the technology fields themselves. You really have just tricked kids into going to a really fun jobs workshop yeah. Yeah. and learning yeah. about and entrepreneurship. They, and they meet like, exactly. yeah. Oh, go, go ahead, Nidia, because we had Ian Brock there, too, as well, last weekend. 
Yeah, I think that's the special part, right? Is I think when people hear the word summit, they think about adult engagement. Um, but uh, we bring these youth in and um, they're able to kind of experience some sometimes for the first time what it's like to kind of be a part of a conference right and mm -hmm. so we we definitely uh, make it an experience as kenji mentioned um coupling it with you know their interests um but also you know prioritizing giving them as much exposure to different careers across financial literacy um, computer science tech innovation entrepreneurship and there's also that angle of health and wellness as well which oftentimes gets um neglected um in in that space in those spaces yep and then they also get to meet um kind of celebrities so they get to have a picture taken with jacob Lattimore, who was there they got to hear mm -hmm. we had um earn your leader did a, a a separate just little group with just high schoolers talking about entrepreneurship as well as a session with parents so and all of this is free so all the kids in the community from all areas of the city um are come they get to come for free and experience this day now, I know that there was a big investment from American Family that allowed these organizations to come together and, and do what Urban Future Centers does. But I, I find this so amazing as a, as a touring opportunity because it seems like the whole idea is to just bring technology and education and, and the knowledge that jobs can be found in these fields mm -hmm. to Milwaukee's most densely populated inner city neighborhoods. Um, I, I'm curious, what was the turnout like? It was excellent. Um, so every every single uh, one of our summits um, has amazing turnouts. I think this last time, Kenji, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, we had something close to 200 students, right? Yeah, we had about 200. We hosted 200 students at the Science and Industry Museum in Chicago, and um, it was great. And we we, we were also worked. One thing that AmFam, I, I really love what they do is they don't just donate a check and leave. So yep. they partnered and they really put their funds in the community. So these, so these community groups, these um, groups that organize, you know, youth groups in like Old Block and different parts of the city, actually brought that one group brought in about 50, 60 kids just from the one part of Chicago. And then we also marry it with, you know, middle middle class kids and just different kids from all different areas. So all of these kids are working together and partnering and learning from each other and growing so it's a really beautiful beautiful sight and um you just leave energized like you're exhausted but yet energized at the end of the day so it's 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 great and i'd add that urban future centers i think the name of the game is investment right so you mentioned um you know there was a, a huge investment in um, local milwaukee organizations 1.2 right. million uh, to be exact and uh, the the whole part of having this national summit, a, a traveling summit, if you will, um, is to sort of replicate that model, as Kenji's mentioning, right? Um, what does it look like to go into these different cities and invest in other organizations or local organizations in those cities and pull them into the collaborative efforts? So yes, um, the main partners of Urban Future Centers are there helping to facilitate, but we're also activating organizations in those cities exactly. as well. And exactly. huge. I mean, yeah, That's why it's, it's such. Like, please go ahead. I was going to say because um, the main thing is just like we're saying it's it's economic equity, and being able to help those areas. So last thing we want to do is just come into town and have this great event and leave. So that way, this way, the kids have resources, they have connections, and then so they have some place that they can grow and ask questions and follow up with at a later time. So that's what I think is also unique about this. 
Well, also, it's just it's it's so corporate and civic life coming together to try to do something that's overall not just moral, but profoundly good for local economies. I mean, it's just it's win win. I'd like to ask you, I guess this might seem like a dumb question, but why is it important to teach young people like this about things like financial literacy and building wealth? Yeah, I I, um, I think that is it's so important to educate the youth on uh, financial literacy so that as they, they grow up, they know how to navigate the world. Right. Um, I I'm a big fan of tech, so I'll speak from the, the tech perspective, which is one of the main things that we focus on um, within each summit tech and um, in finance that's now in the future. Right. And it impacts how we navigate society. And in order for us to ensure that our young ones come out ahead, we have to be able to take the time and invest resources, invest um, as much as we can into these communities so that we're setting them up or positioning them to win. Yeah. And I think it's also important, like they always say, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So we do try to bring in, you know, younger people. It's like we had Jacob Lattimore, who's from Milwaukee. And so he came to our Milwaukee summit and talked about what it was like for him in Milwaukee and then his journey. And then Ian Brock, who's a 16 year old entrepreneur who's from Chicago, we had him come to Chicago and talk about, you know, how did, how did he grow and what did he do too? So it's not just like 40, 50 year olds, you know, talking to kids, it's it's also their peers too. So it helps them relate a little bit too. And I also think, you know, when I was in high school, there definitely wasn't a whole lot of financial literacy. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I wish that I was getting um, this level of uh, access to programming and exposure to different celebrities um, to, to get me ready for the real world. And the reality is that technology is, is changing so much uh, in every single industry. And it's it's important for uh, our youth to understand that they can play an active role in the innovation economy. And so bringing in individuals like Earn Your Leisure to show them what it looks like to monetize their brilliance and not just to play a passive Mm -hmm. role in technology, right? So our youth know how to use the apps, right? But do they know how to monetize? Do they know how to make their own podcast? Do they know how to monetize brilliance? And that's really what we educate them on throughout the summits. The other thing we do is, um, Nadia, you do your... um your venture capitalist pitch competition. So at our summit in Atlanta, we we had uh, Roshan Williams come. And he also was a professor. Not only is he brilliant, he's also from Chicago and he's also a professor at Morehouse and the ands go on. But he was also there to talk to the kids and the kids were actually able to pitch an actual product and, yep. and be able to um, win prizes that um, based on the programming that Rashawn and Nadia put together. So it's also creating access to and, and, and mentoring. That's the key, right? Is helping them to realize that, yes, you have the brilliant billion dollar idea in your head and um, giving them a platform to pitch, to sort of realize their product, get it to that minimum viable product version and uh, to pitch for funding is, is something that a lot of them wouldn't have exposure to without this level of programming. It's totally brilliant. And, and you're also really inspiring the next generation of leaders as well for both corporate and community service. That's right. I, I'm curious to both of you, how, how did your experience separately in the in the corporate world equip you for this kind of work? I think it it, it inspired me more than anything. 
You know, I, I think just as I mentioned earlier, observing the lack of representation, observing the disparities, the lack of equity in corporate America, um, I, I, I knew that I wanted to make a change. And, um, you know, being being a part of corporate America for just four years. That was enough to be like, I'm out because I got to make a difference. And so uh, what yeah. I do believe, though, is that, um, you know, you know, corporate um, ha- has a role in a driving equity and American family is really spearheading this model of what it looks like for corporations to partner with community led black and brown led organizations to drive yep. solutions, to drive progress in our communities. Yeah. And what led me was when I worked at, um, you know, in large corporations, I started working with partners and I started working with other organizations. And then one thing I thought of too was like, especially as a project manager, you know, I've, I've been a project manager for years and they always tell us these triple constraints. And it's like you, either budget, time. So I've always kind of worked and lived in a box or a triangle. And one thing right. I've learned through this whole experience is throwing that model as far as like the, the, and, the or into the and. So I basically started living my life as an and. And I, and especially, and this comes from the leadership and all of the great people at AmFam and our other partnering, um, Joanne Sabir, she like lives in that and. And it's like, cause literally she called me and Nadia one day during COVID and it's like, we have to do something. The kids don't have school. We don't have, I mean, they don't have laptops. What can we do? And then it grew. And then next thing we wow. know, you know, we literally started passing out laptops out of chunks of cars and they were calling Joanne personally to pick them up. Like that's where we started. And then she's like, what about celebrity? And what about experiences? And what about, and I'm like, okay, I'll write it up. Let's come up with a plan. Let's come up with a strategy. And so we just kind of all have our own little special, um, you know, expertise and we make it happen. Like um, beyond our like wildest imagination over the last probably almost two years that this has grown. I'm glad that you mentioned that, Kenji, though, because that's a great a great example of why American Family, in my head, has been set apart from so many other corporations, because it, it's the level of urgency that they seem to understand, right? That this is not, uh, you know, racial equity and racial justice is not something where they're just to sit around a table and talk right. about it, but they're actually right. about action, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I remember the phone call, right? Right, <laughs> yeah. right during like the onset of, of the pandemic and mm-hmm. Joanne was like, we got to do something. And we in fact did. And, and this is the result of it. And we did it in a month because I, I managed the project plan and I go back and I look at those old slides and from like the activation from passing out I think we started with like 50 laptops. We ended up giving out six, over 600 laptops. No way. COVID. Ah. We, Joe, um, Nadia created a four-week online curriculum, and we had it. We already had it um, sent out. On, and so kids on the north side of um, Milwaukee were, were programming at home. And some teachers didn't even have laptops and came by and picked up laptops. So we mobile, like, when they say mobilize, they trust us, and they just – and they're like – you do you, you, you figure it out and, and you go. And I think and that's they trusted really it and they, and they trusted it to people in the community to administer the program. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I got to say the model, I, I hope New York catches up with Milwaukee someday. What are the future, what are the future steam and dream summits that are planned? Which ones do you have scheduled? Where are you going next? So our next stop is Phoenix, Arizona. 
in October. So we're and so for that we're actually going to be partnering with um, a lot of folks in the Hispanic community because that's where um, AmFam has a great presence and we have a lot of partners that are already being supported by AmFam. So we have another partner on our team named Maritza and she has lots of connections in Phoenix. So that'll be our next thing. And then one other thing we do is we talk about partnerships. I mean, it's down to the t-shirts. Like I literally, all of our t-shirts were designed by black and brown artists. All of the catering is by black and brown people. I mean, so we really give back and we, we're very intentional. We have black and brown DJs. And so in Phoenix, we're going to have a Latino DJ, you know, so it's going to be an experience for the kids. It's like kind of like for the kids, by the kids kind of a thing where right on. they feel comfortable and, and, and engaged. So let me ask then, what are your long-term goals for Urban Future Centers? Where would you like to see this expand and, and how would you like to see it grow? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think um, the main thing to really focus in on is the fact that Urban Future Center is not just meant for uh, the city of Milwaukee, right? The idea is that we're creating a, a replicable model uh, that we're able to span across the, the entire nation. And we're able to do that uh, right now through these, um, you know, tra- through this traveling summit. But eventually, you know, I, I'd love to see um, Steam and Dream programming being carried out uh, b- between as many cities as possible. And Kendra, I'd like to um, pull you in to share your vision as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so actually we'd like to expand on our model because, um, in addition to tech, we also have, so we also have social emotional wellness. So in addition to all the other workshops, we got to mention that we ran about six or seven weeks of social emotional programming with practitioners in Milwaukee. So we started off virtual and then when the world opened up a little bit, we went in person and then we went back to virtual and you know, we kind of, yeah. we go as we come and then we, yeah. And then, and then a lot of those practitioners and those people and professionals that we work with are also the ones that we recruit for the summits mm-hmm. and everybody, and we believe in giving back. So the profession, so we don't ask people to really volunteer. We do have people volunteer their time, but we also want to appreciate people and compensate them for their time and their expertise. Right and so we also make sure that we, I mean, you're not going to obviously get rich doing this, but it is like, we at least, least <laughs> want to show point. you that we appreciate that you're appreciative <laughs> of you and we give you a platform and we give you, you know, we, we, we really want to um, honor what you do. So we try to make sure that we post about you and share mm-hmm. photos and, um, you know, that kind of thing too. So people can really use this also as a springboard for their own professional, um, I, you know, services I, I, too. And I just got to say, I know no one's going to get, you're not going to get rich off of this, but there will be young people because of these mm-hmm. programs. There will be young yes. people we can't even count yeah. who will be able to yeah. have a better quality of life than their parents did because of programs like this that show and them the way to kids go. we've had kids come back. I think, Nadia, I think you had a student that was in your, one of your, Oh, yeah. dream classes that went on to college. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely have students that continue to re-engage with our programming. And, you know, John, you said something earlier that you, you want New York to catch up to Milwaukee, right? And I think that as we look up, look and start to think about the future of um UFC or Urban Future Centers, uh, the hope is that more corporations kind of mm-hmm. um, catch wind of what's happening, right, and are inspired and carry out, out similar models because that's what's needed in order for us to really make that sustainable change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's so inspiring. I, I thank you both for this.
Kenji Adams and Nadia Johnson. How can our listeners learn more about the two of you and the work you're doing? Yeah, you can go to milkywaytechhub.com um, and click the Steam and Dream tab to learn more about the collective work uh, of me and Kenji um, and American Family. Um, and then I'll uh, pass it to you, Kenji, to share more about Connect Business Consulting. Yeah. Yep, and you can go to connectbusinessconsulting.com. We have a website, and then you can also um, you see me on my LinkedIn at Kenji Adams. Um, you can just search me on LinkedIn. And then we also post like a lot of our events. We post, we've I just posted some um clip of an interview that we had. So we actually had media. So Channel 7 in Chicago came. I think Fox 32 in Chicago did it, did um, some interviews. So it's just great that we're able to kind of get our word out there and people can see what's what's possible in our community. It, it's so amazing to learn about this. Uh, Nadia Johnson, Kenji Adams, thank you both so much for all the work you do with Urban Future Centers. We cover a lot of politics on this show, and I have to thank the two of you. You make me proud to be an American. Say that too awesome. often. Thank you. There you go. Have, thank you. Have Thanks a great so much evening. for having us. Thank you. We'll be right back with your calls at 866 997 4748. Michael in Manhattan, thank you so much for your patience. Hey, John, um, this is Mike, uh, formerly High Pitch Mike at the Howard Stern Show. Oh, hey, uh, Mike. Kind of a, a sister channel of your company. Um, uh, I just want to thank yeah, you first uh, and foremost for everything you do, for bringing the truth forward daily and um, exposing Trump for what he is. I remember you. you did a show many years ago, probably four or five years ago, with Rose Giordano in Times Square at uh, Caroline's. Yeah. And I was there. And I there. was so great. I was so grateful for what you did bringing like bringing honest people together just to speak out against the bullshit we were witnessing. And oh, who would you. know that 4 or 5 years later like what we've gone through and what we've seen and how we've seen our country go downhill in the last few years like I never would have imagined we'd be at where we're at right now. Five I know. Years ago. The, by but, the way, the show, the show, I want to like tell the folks. You and Rosie were standing there, like, yelling at us, like, saying, it's not going to be good, and it, and it hasn't been good. So I, wanted, I just want to thank you for that. No, but I want to thank you for bringing that show up, because that show saved my life. This was after, after Trump was elected. We did this special called uh, What the Fuck Donnie um, at Caroline's in Times Square. Chris, get a load of this lineup. It was it was me and it was Judy Gold and Judah Freelander and Trayvon Free and Conniff. And then we had Rosie come on stage and Rosie wouldn't. Uh, I begged her to do stand up. She's like, I can't do stand up. I'm like, yes, you can do stand up. God damn it. Get on stage. She wouldn't do it. She would only come on stage with me and the two of us sit on stools and I could interview her. So I more or less ask her one question and she launches into 20 minutes of stand up. God damn it. You know, like she's she's. Great. And then David Crosby was across the street doing Fallon. He came right over from NBC, sat in the front row, and I was able to talk Crosby into coming on stage and singing a cappella. And, uh, and he was just on fire that night. It was an amazing, packed, sold-out show. And for me, it was like the first moment of the Trump presidency where I really felt like artists and comedians were going to be uh, a tremendous force for justice and sanity. I'm so glad no, you were there I, that night. And that's, that's exactly that's exactly what it was, because you you can't imagine the four or five years that were about to happen and what we've seen in the last four or five years. Between Charlottesville, January 6th, all the racist strokes that Trump used over the years, 
to demonize gay people, to demonize preach, Muslims, preach. to demonize yes. Hispanics. Like you cannot, you kind of could have predicted it, but you can't imagine it went to where it's been. And and I just want to thank you because you and Rosie, and especially Rosie, you know, she was speaking in like 2005 and six. Yes, she was. On the view. I yes, love she her, was. But, um, she called him. And by the way, also, I give Howard a lot of credit because I, I always say this, and I don't know Howard. You know, I say hi to him in the hallways when I see him, and that that's right, not going right. to happen too much anymore. But he, you know, he, I, I grew up listening to Howard on WNBC when I was a kid in the afternoons Absolutely. after school, and I have seldom seen a public figure who has evolved so deeply in the public eye and become someone who's gone from being a dude to being a man, a hilarious, irreverent dude, to being a hilarious, irreverent, evolved man. Howard Stern has grown so much as a man and has learned so much. You can tell the guy's done therapy, and I literally think that he has made a lot of the guys who listen to his show grow and become better. I mean, Howard Howard endorsed Hillary, for God's sakes, and he was ferocious right, about no, it. And he absolutely. could have just gotten on the Trump train and gone down and been a selfish asshole at Mar-a-Lago, but instead he told the truth and fought for it. So I, I right. praise Stern all the time, uh, and I think that Trump made Stern a better broadcaster and a better person. And anyone who quit Howard because of his Trump support can fuck right off. Right, and I, I spent almost a decade working for Howard, we interview Trump because Trump is a freak show. Trump is that's always going to say something that's going to shock you. But exactly. When when the shit hit the fan, Howard said the truth. Howard said, yeah. "Why is this guy president? How did this happen? What is he doing? He never expected to be president." And yeah. you know, it's just it, it's a sad state of affairs that this country's only you know almost two hundred fifty years old, and one of the forty six presidents. Is Donald Trump like it's just unreal? But again, I, I want to thank you. I want to thank Rosie and Howard, and just um, keep doing right, what you do you. because we appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. I'm so honored. Thank you very much, and thanks for calling. Call in more often, All right. please. What a, have a good night. Thank you. You have a good night as well. Eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight. The last surviving adult cast member of It's a Wonderful Life has died. Chris, Virginia Patton Moss left us the other day on August 18th in an assisted living facility in Albany, Georgia. She was 97 years old. She was uh, in the movie um, playing Ruth Dakin Bailey, uh, George Bailey's sister-in-law, wife to war hero Harry Bailey. She only really has just one scene. And four years after the movie, she retired from acting after a supporting role in The Lucky Stiff in 1949. But uh, she's also the niece of General George Patton. And uh, the last surviving adult cast member of It's a Wonderful Life, Virginia Patton Moss, what a great name, died this week at the age of 97. We are at 866-997-474. I know I'm breaking in for the, for the obituary updates. Whew. Um, <laughs> we've had no so many news, deaths. No news out of New York's 10th district, but the last living <laughs> cast member of It's a Wonderful Life has left us. Well, and uh, Carolyn Maloney has left us as well. 30 years in the Congress and um, a career marked first by tragedy because her husband was killed in the Long Island Railroad mass shooting and she ran for office based on that, on a gun control platform, led to her serving in our Congress for 30 years and a whole new renewed uh, career for her as a champion of abortion rights and women's reproductive freedoms. And um, then they... Then they redistricted, and it's been really crazy and unpleasant in New York to see not just that two different 
plus year legislators, both in their mid seventies, are suddenly running against each other. But that it got ugly. It was it did it it was not nice. And uh, she attacked Jerry Nadler, attacked his sobriety, attacked his sanity. Um, went after Biden and said Biden shouldn't run again. But then she backed backed off on that. Uh, Nadler was endorsed, of course, by the New York Times and by Schumer over the weekend. So. It was pretty much a lock. He was going to get it, and he has prevailed. Carol Maloney, we thank you for your 30-odd years of service. Uh, we're still waiting to hear what's happening with that other race here in New York City. Uh, but over in Florida, as we mentioned earlier, Charlie Crist has prevailed in the race for the Democratic nomination for governor. Uh, our, our, our hearts go out to our good friend Nikki Fried, who ran a great, great campaign against him, and Val Demings who is not just the former Orlando police uh, police chief. She is not just the congresswoman. She was not just an impeachment manager. She is not just the Democratic nominee to take on Marco Rubio in November. She's also my imaginary boo. I just love her so much. And she has prevailed. She will replace Marco Rubio this November. I got a good feeling about it. Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. 866-997-4748 as we round out the evening. And the great Joe Sudbay will be here tomorrow. This is Progress. Let's go to EJ in Los Angeles. Hello. How's it going, John? How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Um, man, I'm doing pretty good. You know, uh, it's been a long time since you and I have actually seen each other in person. Um, we went to school together at NYU, so... Uh, I won't go digging back into all of that. That's not why I called. I wanted to call, first of all, to you. I enjoy the show very much. I love following you on Twitter. Um, Thank you. The things that you say are very important for people to hear. Not only about about, uh, politics, but also about culture and the world that we live in and the things that that are happening out there. And, um, you know, I I really find that you're, you're... your comedic insight is tremendous and probably it supersedes anything that I, I could possibly uh, have envisioned when I first met you many years oh, ago. Oh, you're very so. kind. I, I, it's nice because most people from NYU don't talk to me at all anymore. So this is very special. Oh, Thank well, you. but, that, you know, that's, that's, don't, don't let that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <sighs> we, we all, listen, we all found our own way to walk through what we're walking through in this world. And the reality is, is that we've lived through some tough last four years, and now we're living in a time where things are actually changing. And it's like you said, the the, the needle is moving. The midterms are going to be a slaughter on the Republicans. They just don't. Well, uh, they, they'll 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 take the House most likely. That's still projected. You think they're going to get the? You really think they'll get the House? I think they have gerrymandered the fuck out of the districts, and that's why they're going to get the House. That's why they can't get the Senate. Gotcha. So. If they, so what would it take for that for them to be able to get the House? I mean, the gerrymander districts being what they are, can some strong Democratic candidates come out and defeat? I mean, obviously, I'm thinking about Florida, and you know, Matt Getz has a Democratic uh, rival that she's been allowed to be on the ballot. I'm interested to see yeah. what happens with her. Uh, I mean, I will remain optimistic and hopeful, and I do think, as I always think, every one of these elections, if there's very large turnout, Democrats will do well. If there's very low turnout, Republicans will do well, because that's the constant of my lifetime. It always turns out that way. 
Well, what's it going to take for the Democrats to really get out and vote? I mean, are people going to have to put people on buses and drive them to polls? Yes, offer all of the above. Uh, everyone, everyone has to tell 10 people to promise that they'll get 10 people to promise to vote, especially especially in swing states, especially in you know the purple states where the, where, where the turnout matters even more. I mean, safe blue states are one thing, but... You know, I think it could happen. Again, you're seeing that this administration has done so much, it's achieved so much with a 50-50 Senate with no support. And by the way, I mean, they're going to announce forgiving like half the student loan debt on the federal level in this country tomorrow. I, I think today. I'm excited about that. They're teasing it. It's probably going to come out tomorrow. And if Roe versus Wade can't get the majority of people to show up, I don't know what we're doing wrong in this country. Uh, that's a very interesting point that you make. Roe versus Wade should have gotten more. But, you know, the thing is, uh, people are paying attention now and people yes. are listening now. Now that people realize that the rights are gone. And there's even there was a Republican, uh, a Republican lawmaker in South Carolina today who made a statement about uh, a young woman who had had to have a, needed to have a, a late term abortion to save her own life. And she couldn't get one. And so people who actually voted for this legislation in states where they're turning, they're overturning the abortion laws, they're realizing they're saying, "Oh well, it's actually affecting people. People are dying. People will have a potential to die." So maybe if people will get out and vote lawmakers in, or vote for the people that they know need to stay in uh, power to, to change this. Maybe we can actually make a difference. EJ, I agree with everything you're saying. I want to thank you. And I want to thank you for the call. Please call in more often and and, and let's talk about NYU. But since you mentioned it, it's Neil Collins. He's the South Carolina lawmaker. He's a Republican. Neil Collins, thank you. Here's the audio before our break. We can play this. This is Neil Collins. This is the best audio you're going to hear all week. And it's only Tuesday. Here he is telling his Republican colleagues he regrets supporting his state's fetal heartbeat bill and why. I voted for the pain-capable bill, the fetal heartbeat bill, and fetal heartbeat has been for six weeks now. The second week that this, that the fetal heartbeat bill became law, a doctor called me out of Anderson. I live in Easley. A 19-year-old girl appeared at the ER. She was 15 weeks pregnant. Her water broke. And the the fetus was unviable. The standard of care was to advise her uh, that they could extract or she could go home. The attorneys told the doctors that because of the fetal heartbeat bill, because that 15-week-old had a heartbeat, the doctors could not extract. So their only choices were to admit the 19-year-old until that fetal heartbeat stopped. I asked, how long does it take to stop? She said, seconds, minutes, hours, maybe days, or discharge. They discharged that 19-year-old. The doctor told me at that point, there's a 50% chance, well first, she's gonna pass this fetus in the toilet. She's gonna have to deal with that on her own. On her own. There's a 50% chance, greater than 50% chance that she's gonna lose her uterus. There's a 10% chance that she will develop sepsis and herself die. Teenage girl he's talking that about. That weighs on me. I voted for that bill. These are affecting people, and we're having a meeting about this. It took that whole week I did not sleep. That is South Carolina lawmaker Republican Neil Collins telling his colleagues why he regrets supporting his state's abortion bill. This is Progress. Progress.